As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Let's dive into today's conversation regarding life's myriad transitions and how we refine our responses in our relationships, our wellness, our households, our work, and in our practices. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I have an old friend with me today, somebody whom I have admired for many, many years, an author, a poet, a thinker. Let's see if you can guess our listener. She's the author of seven books to help heal yourself on the inside so that the world we live in can be healed. Did you guess yet? She is a tribal member of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. She lives in the ancestral tribal homelands of the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs. Her forthcoming book, The Wound Makes the Medicine, Elemental Remediations for Transforming Heartache, is published by Row House and will be released December of 2023. I'm so happy to be with you, Pixie Lighthorse. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, friend. It is always good to talk with you. Yes, yes. I wrote a blurb for this book after reading the galleys uh, several months ago. And it sounds like this. Walking with us into our sacred ceremonies of grief, rupture, evolution, and healing, Pixie Lighthorse reminds us of, quote, what a body and heart can do when they release the mind's desire to control, unquote. In her new surging treatise on heart healing, Pixie invites us to be reclaimed, to risk love again, to become trustworthy enough to heal even the forgotten ancient wounds awaiting our attention. And this is a magical book. I have the final advanced copy electronically in front of me on my screen. It is absolutely exquisite. I want to give a shout out to Bex of Row House Publishing. We love you. And thank you for making such beauty for Pixie. To begin, I want to talk a little bit, as we discussed earlier, about the influence of recovery on this book for you. Walk us in with our listener. Walk us into your process of the last few years. Oh, goodness. Thank you. Thanks for that beautiful introduction. And yes, hats up to Row House for creating such a space for some of us to, what is their tagline? It's amplifying. I think it's raising the volume on voices that matter. I think that is it. Yep. Raising the volume on voices that matter. Thank you, Row House Publishing. Our listener, you can just go to rowhousepublishing.com. A tremendous, absolutely tremendous force to uh, support. Yeah. It's a wealthy library over there and culture and new thought paradigms. And it's just really cool to be a part of it. And, you know, it came to be during this three-year experience we have all been through in our own way, which I feel like I can't walk the listener through 
what it's been like for me in the last three years without acknowledging that it has just been a really transformational period for us as a global community in the last three years. But some of the things that have come up for me and I've noticed for others as well is just is deep reckonings, right? Deep facing of our mortality, an amplification of fear, a big surge in creativity and in kind of like taking an inventory of our values. And I don't know, it's just been a very transformational period for me. And this book was born during that time, kind of like at the tail end, right? So I wrote it at the beginning of this year and some tail end of last year as well. But I feel like it was written, The Wound Makes the Medicine, at this time when we were starting to emerge from the cocoon of however we experienced the global pandemic. And there was a lot of recovery that was lost and found in my own communities during that period. And for me, recovery has been an undeniable influence on this book, although it does not necessarily nod to any programs or anything like that. And I thought it would be fun for us to just talk about what recovery is for each of us Mm -hmm. and how it's helping us because we're coping, right? And we're navigating a lot of systems. We're questioning a lot of things. Our self-awareness just got a huge boost, big reality checks, right? Right. I'm interested in the sort of clarity that has landed on you. I feel it actually in your voice, and I feel it definitely in your words, in The Wound Makes the Medicine. I'm looking at the table of contents. I'm happy that I remembered to ask about this because it's so simple and it pulled me in. And I can't help but think that this has something to do with your recovery as well. Uh, The first section of this book in the TOC is Proud Flesh. (laughs) The second is In Flames. The third, Underwater. The fourth, Of Earth. And the fifth, with air. I have yet in my 53 years of life to hear the elements put so succinctly and beautifully in a table of contents with no formality and no more needed. And I can't help but think that this is part of your journey too. You're clearing your mind, you're clearing your cells, and you're also enabling all of us to reconnect to the elements in the way that you are. Yeah. Thank you for reading the TOC. It is simple. And I don't know if you ever have this experience, Elena, when you're looking back at what you've written, because writing a project feels to me like, you know, space out of time. And so when I hear it back, I'm like, gosh, that was a time when I set aside to create a thing that I asked to be clear I asked for clear messages to come through me and through my experiences so that the reader could self-heal and benefit from it. But it is funny to hear it. Sometimes I feel a little separate from my work, maybe in the ways that folks feel a little separate from a family member or you know, children when they launch out of the nest and things like that. We have to acknowledge that the creative work or the babies or, you know, whomever it is goes on to make their own way. And so in that way, I feel a lot of respect and reverence for this piece of work for coming through. I mean, clarity is one of those things that, you know, we're often seeking it and it is elusive to me at times. There's so many layers going on with us as a people and as individuals with our enormous catalogs of 
um, identities and territories that we're exploring within and with one another that just feels very potent for these times. And so when we land on a little clarifying medicine or a little point, or, you know, we create a little concoction or a libation that works in our bodies to help and to heal, then my operating system says, Ooh, write that down. You know, like that could be helpful. That's a golden nugget right there. And so, yeah, the very simple TOC is those five chapters was an invitation for me to go deep into meditation with these elemental forces, which are all around us all the time. You know, we're breathing every day, thankfully, until we're not. And, you know, we are experiencing fire and all of the elements in these different ways that we've learned how to metaphorically connect and in very real time and very literally. So I just got to swirl myself into them and ask these ever-present ancestral guides, these ancestors essentially to just to speak through to us. Because when times are complex and complicated and we feel chaotic or confused, to me it is a great comfort to lean into something so simple as an element that I'm very familiar with because of how I'm interacting with it on a daily basis and to allow it to be a guide and to test me because obviously every one of these elements is um gosh without like really biting into the bone of it you know all of these elements have the power to give us life cook our food warm us you know keep us warm through the winters give us breath and they also when they are not there or when they are too strong in presentation they have the ability to take our lives away right So there's an intensity to these remediations and also they're written with hopefully the best of my nurturing and gentleness. Yeah. I want to just point out to our listener, I want to just give some context on where Pixie is and what her life looks like at this moment. And she has a section at the beginning of this book called Dear Reader. Bottom of page 10, Roman numeral 10. I live and work on a ranch in the high desert of the Pacific Northwest, where the workdays are long and each adult carries a double load. It was a mild winter that year, thankfully. Yet I cannot remember taking my coat off. My throat stayed wrapped in a moth-eaten scarf as I jaggedly walked from chore to chore, not quite numb, often crying. Tears cleanse us, not of uncleanliness, but by offering a sterile flush for open wounds. That's because they contain the perfect ratio of salt for battered emotions. Weeping was infection prevention for me, and in that time I became acutely aware of how little weeping I had done in my life. Wow. (laughs) You know, that brings us into what gave rise to this book, which is a pretty tenuous time. And I wonder, per this conversation on recovery that we sort of are continuing to have, if you could, you know, share with us a little bit about what that time was like for you and how you learned that the wound, in fact, does make the medicine. Yeah. Thanks for reading that. It's just, I got lumps in my throat just hearing it because I think that when I was reflecting back on the sort of catalyst that was the you know, brought all my chickens home to roost that inspired me to write this book. It was a breakup of an eight year relationship. And as 
breaking ups do, whether it's with a parent or a partner or um, the death of a loved one or the loss of a child, it's the kind of rupture that, you know, for which there is no control. And I really wanted to write this book from that seat of powerlessness and how we move our bodies and how we feel ourselves or don't feel ourselves when these ruptures have happened and then what it sets off inside of us, not just what childhood triggers does it activate, you know, what night terrors it sets off, but like what beauty does it stir? What bittersweet melancholy acceptance of profound awareness of existence and of beauty and of, you know, the fire that keeps burning to keep your children warm or the, you know, the little rose hips that are turning more and more orange by the day juxtaposed with whatever situation it is for folks that has rendered them powerless to change something that they with every part of them would like to change. So that time in my life, it was rough and it's almost surreal. It almost just sort of feels like a strange dream and looking back, I'm not in that place in my life anymore. And I wasn't there for a very long time on the continuum, on the clock. But I think that that's what trauma and or big events or catastrophes or a global pandemic or these kinds of ruptures can really For me, Elena, it felt like being kind of in the folds of time, you know, (laughs) surfing the time warp. And it was a vortex in a way, a portal. And because I have a relationship with great mystery and all powers greater than myself, even when I feel like I'm on the floor, I kept thinking about um, the moments on the floor that Elizabeth Gilbert describes when she's starting to write Eat, Pray, Love. This is not necessarily my Eat, Pray, Love, but... um, how, you know, when you're just at your very, on your knees, essentially, how you still can say, sure, I'll go where you want me to go. (laughs) I'll listen. I'll take the bait. I'll go on the journey. I'll go gather the golden fleece. You know, like I still, even when we're super powerless, we can find a way to say, I will listen to what you have for me in this. You know, that listening, I think is where your work kind of lit up for me those many years ago. And on page nine, you talk about the projections and how our proud flesh will, quote, inevitably bump up against the proud flesh of others. This is in a section on taking back our projections. And, you know, even with all the work that so many of us have done and our listener inevitably has done, we're with you here. A projection, as you write, is nothing more than a defense mechanism that you subconsciously use to cope with painful feelings. That's it. We seek to target others, you go on, to get out of working with the pain they triggered. For example, perhaps you're experiencing rage that doesn't seem safe to feel. Maybe you end up perceiving your partner or another loved one as being wrathful and angry all the time. And you accuse this person of torpedoing your life with hot temper. And there may be a grain of truth to your perception, but there also may be an aspect of you that doesn't want to claim its own part in the dynamic. And this sort of process, proud flesh bumping up against proud flesh. Last night, James had just come home from his childhood home, 
childhood apartment. He was bringing his mother here to New Mexico, where she's quite ill. She's on immunotherapy right now, 83 years old, but there is a lot of tumor activity in her body. Mm. It is highly unlikely that she will ever go back there. And they spent two days prior to leaving his childhood apartment in New York, kind of packing things up. Mm-hmm. And as we were talking totally unrelated topic, he was aggressively angry, like reactive in a way that I almost never see him in 10 whole years. Mm. And I stood still, very still. And instead of joining in the fray, I really took in the fact that this is this can't be easy for him. He just came from the hornet's nest of his childhood, which was literally such an abusive, weird situation. His father is long gone, who was mostly the perpetrator. And I felt for him. And instead of projecting, I'm giving myself a little pat on the back here, which is very rare. Instead of of projecting, I actually just stood there and made my eyes very loving and created a safe space for him to land. And it was beautiful, beautiful. But I had just finished reading this section again, and I was like, oh, I know exactly what's happening here. I want to just, you know, put a little magnifying glass, a little loudspeaker against this section, even though it's the first few pages of the book, it was extraordinarily helpful for me to see what was happening in real time in my kitchen with my partner. And I was able to offer him support as a result of your very insightful and erudite writing. Wow. Yeah. So much love to James and his mother and these liminal places of being in between life and death, closer to death than we are to life. I mean, there's the invitation, mm-hmm. there's the portal again, like, are you willing to yes. step through? And what I think is interesting, just tying back into recovery is that I love that recovery asks us, what are we enabling, right? Because if someone is aggressing or, um, you know, acting up, as I would say, then it is important to people in recovery, especially those healing codependents and things like that, to ask ourselves, what are we tolerating? What are we putting up with? What are we enabling? But also when we are experiencing the sheer invitation and potential to make our eyes loving, what are we enabling in ourselves in difficult tests and situations? I mean, if James was throwing chairs around the room, you know, we might be having a different kind of conversation, but that surge of what is coming up for him as a result of, you know, for you, his loving partner to realize in some way in that moment, this is not about me. You know, he might be trying to target me with a little bit of something here to get it off of him. Cause it's so damn uncomfortable. Mm. Um, mm. you know, I can hold it for him a little bit, or I can sort of move to the side and let it go past me. And I can hold him in this space that he's in. I don't need to even say anything, you know, like he will come to it on his own I don't have to give to it or take from it or shove his projection back to him. I mean, there are all kinds of skills that we're learning about how to be with one another because our fantasies of how we should be with each other got shattered somewhere, 
somewhere in our lifetimes or somewhere during the COVID period or like it's happening. Our idealism and our fantasies and fairy tales have, um, you know, the needle has gone across the record. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Especially as we get a little older, you know, it's like, oh gosh. I like that um, getting older also includes if we pay attention and take care of our bodies and minds, it includes a level of patience that I didn't have even two or three years ago. Yeah. Where I would have been righteous with him (laughs) for speaking to me in the tone that he was speaking to me. And instead I was like, hey, let's take this down a notch. Let's really look at what we need to do here now. And let's know that we're on the same team. Yeah. And all is well. All is well. That's what I kept repeating, all is well. And he got it almost instantly. I waited until the next day to share my observation about him just having come out of the hornet's nest where he grew up and it was so challenging. And uh, he really appreciated that I'd waited and didn't like bring it up as a fault line for him. Yeah, which is, I think, often what we do is we weaponize each other's soft spots and there's nothing wrong with feeling that flare up of anger and expressing it. And certainly in safe company, which not everyone has that safe place. And I wanted to mention softening time because it's something that you just said about getting older finds us moving in a different way, making different choices. Also trusting ourselves, Mm. trusting ourselves that like, you know what, I'm going to play this card because 10 years ago, I would have played a very different card. But today I'm going to throw this one on the pile and see what (laughs) happens that could be different. (laughs) And that's really evident in softening time, which I love. Thank you for sending me your poems. Thank you so much. We know grief, you know, you and I. We know grief. Thank you, Element, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. We have been personally using Element for well over a year. Element is spelled L-M-N-T. Elemental electrolyte salts that have completely changed the game around my house. Every night before bed, James and I split a packet. Helps us sleep, helps us get good solid rest, and helps combat fatigue, muscle pain, fogginess, irritability even. Did you know that your cells need electrolytes for optimal function? And if you're struggling with any of those things, you might just be deficient in electrolytes. They facilitate hundreds of cellular functions in your body, including nerves, hormone regulation, nutrient absorption, fluid balance. Element contains 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. No artificial anything in here, no sugar, no nothing. My favorite flavors, as I said, orange watermelon and the chocolate caramel in hot water is just incredible. Element comes in tiny single-serving packets you can carry with you wherever you go. They're great on planes as well. With my link, you get a free sample pack with any order so that you can try all the flavors. And that link is drinkelement.com forward slash Elena. The spelling is D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com forward slash Elena. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Element. Again, the link drinkelement.com forward slash Elena. No grief. You mentioned the liminal and it reminds me that I wanted to point this out. You had sent these two pages to me 
I was drawn to them in the early read as well. There's a section that starts on page 15 of The Wound Makes the Medicine for our listener, page 15. It's called Walking in the Liminal. And I would love, Pixie, if you would be open to reading this to us. It's about, I don't know, like four or five paragraphs. I really appreciate hearing you in your voice read your words. Okay, I'll give it a go. Thanks for the invite. Cool. Yeah. Walking in the Liminal. Liminal space is used to describe the area between two defined territories, the in-betweenness just before dawn, when the day hasn't yet come alive, and just after dusk, when we do not yet consider it nightfall. Liminality is not limbo or nothingness. There are no decisions to be made here, simply the state of being in the unknown that we find in the midst of transition. Liminality accompanies the struggle felt in uncertainty. Before we make any decisions or commitments, we have the healing potential to be with the broken fragments of our heart with as much calm attention as possible. To attune to the heart is to sympathize with it. I feel this state mostly just before waking, when my dreams are still fuzzy and I'm closest to the forces of nature that hold me when I'm resting the deepest, yet possessing just a bit of lucidity and consciousness. Being in this space can feel frustrating because we are oriented to always be doing something. In liminal space, there is nothing to be done, no pressure to accomplish anything. Still, when heartbreak and disappointment are upon you, and it seems as though there is no end in sight, it can feel frustrating to be unable to shift your state. You may be wondering when there will be relief from all this suffering, or you may wish that you knew what action to take that would remove you from this purgatory. It is not only time that heals wounds, but a complex and flavorful broth of love, reflection, a willingness to be with the truth of what caused the pain, and when the pain occurs, the ability to release it to healing. Your broken heart doesn't call for management. It is not a business. It does not need unending, silent suffering, masks, or pretending. It howls for gentle companionship with your consciousness, like a lonesome wolf in a graying, misty canyon. Simply letting yourself be in the tender fog of your becoming will eventually help you step over the threshold and move into the next phase when the moment is right. And the affirmation at the end of this chapter is, I give myself grace to stay in the uncomfortable in-between spaces and to find beauty and peace in allowing myself to be. Hmm. Thank you so much for reading that. I think there's a great deal of wisdom there for all of us. And no matter if you're listening to this from a hard day or a really good day, there's work to be done, and there's also recognition of the work that's been done here. And I really appreciate what you wrote here. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, thanks for asking me to share. I think the part that stood out the most to me as I was reading it, just for my own self to be a student of this work too, is that we are oriented to always be doing something. It's true. I I cry and laugh my way through this work and a lot of folks work because there's such truth in how we, like we've already probably said the work half a dozen times in this podcast alone. We are so beautifully oriented to work, you know, God bless us. (laughs) Even back in the day when the kids were tiny, Jonah started Montessori at a year and a half. And I found great comfort in the fact that they would, I now see how wrong this was, they would orient the kids to the quote-unquote work on the shelves. Mm-hmm. Wash the little guy they the see, and- <laughs> Yeah, well, they see and hear their parents 
going to work, I have my hands in air quotes. And so when they hear, even at one and a half, two years old, this is your work, Jonah. I remember him hearing that for the first time and seeing the look on his face and the look of purpose that he got. Gosh, that's wild. I never thought about it. Yeah. I mean, picking up our toys and, you know, if we have the blessing or the privilege and raised in a safe home and we do our work of like picking up our toys or helping mommy put the laundry in the basket and things like that, um, then we learn that there are tasks and there is work and we can take pride in that. Uh, What we don't get oriented to is the work of um, or the unwork of sitting still and gazing at, you know, the sunset or just sitting up in, in bed quietly and holding hands or things like that. Mm. I think that if it makes us feel better, we can call that work too. <laughs> right. But, but no, no, I hear you. There was a series of questions that you and I tossed through between each other. And one of the questions that you posed was, what are we recovering from? Mm. And how does the current culture undermine our healing? How does the wellness industry keep us stuck on loops of consumerism that prevents our real growth? Mm. Like, I see it. I've been a part of it. I've been guilty of it for a really long time. And I've been spending the last couple of years really looking at where I can refine my own practices and offerings so that what I put out there is not just an empty consumption action, but is actually some kind of learning that brings the person learning closer to themselves. Yes. Not closer to me. And safe with themselves too. Yeah. Yes. And not dependent on me or anything I'm putting out there to move themselves toward that safety. Yeah. It's tough to be a space holder or a healer, or um, it's tough to ask folks to tend to and turn back in towards themselves. And I think in that way, when we turn back into ourselves and we learn how to cultivate the kind of trust that doesn't have to look, community and resonance between people is of utmost value. I don't ever want to give a message that we need to, you know, turn to self and handle things on our own. That is the opposite of what I'm saying. But when we learn to trust that we can be in a way self-contained, then selflessness actually is able to come through. And then we are able to kind of turn ourselves back out into community. And I have found that it is more stabilizing for me to do this sort of inner peace-seeking recovery, examining my responses and reactions in particular. And when I cultivate a new skill that I feel like I can trust and I can count on and I can put it to use in my relationships, particularly with my immediate family, then I feel like I'm much more useful to my communities. I'm much less likely to go out into community and burn myself out or, um, overcommit or do some of these chronic things that our recovery asks us to contend with. Yeah. It's wild. <laughs> it's just such a wild ride. It's like, such a wild ride. You know, it's two steps forward, three steps back, then it's five steps forward and one step back. 
And then there's this last question that I really wanted to get to, which I'm glad we're reaching in. What changes are we making on the inside with our relationships to ourselves, capital S, to experience peacefulness without bypassing? Mm. So in my sobriety, spent about three months last year doing a microdosing course with psilocybin after a lot of research, hesitation, studies, diving into the science behind it. And I actually was afraid of this, that I would be bypassing. And what I found is that used carefully in very, very, very small doses, 100 milligrams, three days a week, not five for me, that was perfect. I got a whole layer of fresh powder into the grooves in my mind. Mm. And I feel different. And, you know, I ask myself this question all the time. I am experiencing more peacefulness now. I am more responsive than reactive now. I lost the anger. Mm. It's gone. It, It was so so close to the surface for so long and now it's not even buried it's evaporated from the surface and I wonder if you have some sort of intelligence intel as it were for our listener who might be stuck in this like how do we experience peacefulness without bypassing perhaps if you know microdosing isn't your thing or if you are making other choices let's say I'm so interested to hear your thoughts on this. Well, I mean, there are indeed so many different kinds of listeners and so many different challenges within us and what we are open to and what we're not. Working with plant medicines in a ceremonial way can be very life-altering and path-altering, and that is not available to or even interesting to some folks. And so I think there can be a really potent conversation around what brings us to it? You know, what is helping us? And certainly in a 12 step program, we're talking about, you know, what we're sharing our stories of experience, strength, and hope. And we're doing that because that's what helps the newcomer, or that is how we help each other from having community dialogues about what's working. Also being in this type of portal in which the wound makes the medicine was written you know, I, there were people kind of sometimes coming and going and bringing broth and giving me help around the ranch and things like that. And yet my task was to just be with myself. It was an absolute, like I said, a reckoning, um, a crucible in which I had to learn to trust myself in a whole new way. And that practice of trusting myself and not how others were advising me was really necessary for where I was at in my life. And I think also, um, turning 50 that year, maybe there was some kind of landmark in there for me to claim myself, not in partnership. You know, I was no longer growing and living in the reflection of someone else's experience, which I think is, you know, one of the very best ways to grow and learn is to do these kinds of things like you experienced with James last night, you know, we grow in relationship. That's where we are challenged and it's where we're experiencing love. And to have that experience inside of ourselves, that isn't a simple band-aid of love and light and, you know, of trying something necessarily external 
to save us or be medicine. The wound makes the medicine. It asks the reader to go into the messy, the bloody, (laughs) the uncomfortable, the torn, you know, the scar tissue that has just done such a fantastic job of knitting and layering over the wounded places to go into that and find appreciation for what you as a human have had to go through and had um, not just endure, but make peace with, release, claim, move towards, move away from, and to stay, be in that space with oneself in order to build that self-trust and self-respect. That's it, isn't it? It feels like the self-trust. <laughs> yeah, I feel very strongly, and I've addressed this with a lot of my private mentoring clients too, that self-trust and self-respect are absolutely fundamental if we are to have a hope for relations that are functional in this life. Yeah, and there's something about being in a kind of a a crucible or a crisis-type situation emotionally that when we make it through to the other side without, you know, drinking a bottle of whiskey every night or, you know, loading up on whatever substance or medication is needed, I think that when we can be with ourselves and fiercely, ferociously love ourselves through those times, I feel like it really opens us up to being better with and for each other, for our families, for ourselves. It sharpens your intuition. You know, there were things that happened to me inside of that space that no one could have told me how to do, or no one could have given me that gift or advised me, not even an elder. And, you know, I am one who very much tunes into what the elders are observing and saying in my own native and tribal communities. And so it was an opportunity for me to believe that what I was experiencing was going to serve me well later and my children and my communities, if I could just not shut down, medicate, run away, blame someone else, shame someone else. One of my favorite um, punishments is like condemnation, you know, or righteous indignation. I've gotten a lot of mileage in my lifetime out of being in that fun house of mirrors of projections that we discussed at the beginning of this. And it's very humbling to be in recovery and just be with yourself. Just be with yourself. It's so hard. Well, you're feeling your feelings again. <laughs> <laughs> There's no more numbing agents to help you avoid them. And feeling your feelings is hard. No, and all of your everything happens for a reason and love and light and some of these things that we also medicate on as a kind of a you know spiritual false empowerments, those things fall away too. So the book is, you know, it's really an invitation and a handholding to kind of walk through difficult times or if there are times that folks have been through and they haven't yet made sense of it or haven't, they had to just get on with life, get up, go to work, you know, take care of the children. It makes me think of Elizabeth Lesser's book, Broken Open. And um, also, do you remember, this is back in the day, Oriah Mountain Dreamers, um, yes. The Invitation, Yes, that gritty stuff really um, was with me when I was trying to stay courageous to write about transforming how it really feels and how bad it feels and transforming that into something that I can use in this lifetime to be a better human. 
and better for humanity. Well, what I can say is this. I could talk to you all day about this book, but I will offer our listener the opportunity to make your own decision. The Wound Makes the Medicine, published by Row House Publishing, is a masterpiece, an important bedside book to just leave there. You don't have to move it away from your bedside, I promise. <laughs> you can just leave it right there when you need comfort in the morning, when you need insight in the evening. It is there. I thank you for this book, Pixie. I thank you for your friendship all these years, and thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for all the arduous times that you went through that gave birth to this beautiful book. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on today. Yeah. Thank you for making space for us to muck around in some of this profound beauty and these places we're both, you know, I just turned 52, you're 53. We're like yeah. starting to really make some tracks here in terms of just we're finding our way. And I really appreciate your leadership and position and the responsibility and accountability that you hold within your communities. Thank you for that. For sure. Uh, last question. Your people are leaving the nest soon. Is that true? I have one son. He will be 18 in a couple of weeks and he'll definitely be launching within the next um, several months. Is that what you mean? That is what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is turning 17 and I think he's going to take the year off and maybe he'll hang out here. We've certainly made it very easy for him to say yes to that, but there's no way to know. And I've just been preparing myself for that. And it's been a beautiful to your point of trusting yourself and respecting yourself, it's been a beautiful return to that as a priority yeah. for me, which I really appreciate the emphasis on that in this book. Mm, I'm so glad. I mean, gosh, conversation for another time, right? Because totally, yeah, it's on. <laughs> totally, totally. Sending you so much love, Pixie. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thanks so much for pumping Row House a little bit to our pre-orders. Just really help keep our movement alive. I appreciate you, Ben. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Let me give our listener the website, if possible. Tell me exactly where to get this book the most uh, efficaciously. Well, you know, you can order it from anywhere that books are sold online and pre-orders. They're so critical to our movement. But the one that does the fastest reporting, I think you know where I'm going with this, is good old Amazon. Wildly. Wildly. It's up to the minute data because they have that level of sophisticated tracking tools. But anywhere someone feels comfortable to pre-order it is fine by me. And I'm just appreciative that there is a community who is interested in doing deeper level reflection. Yep. I feel proud to be a human on that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, thank you so much again. Our listener, thanks for hanging around with us, and we will see you again very soon. Thanks so much. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 
75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.